Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Rootless Living Podcast in episode number 88. This is your first time here. My name is Damien Ross, and besides being the host of this podcast, I'm also the publisher of the Rootless Living Magazine. But probably even more important, I'm a full-time digital nomad that has been living and working in an RV since 2017. And on this show, I chat with others that have also found unique ways to have a life that is full of travel and experiences while they're still working. On today's episode, I speak with Nick, and we get to destroy the idea that if you have a job that is currently face-to-face and you think you can't go rootless, remote, virtual, however you want to say it, you're wrong. But like always, before I say too much, let's get into the episode. All right, with that, I want to welcome Nick to the show. How are you, Nick? I am doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have you. Where are you in the world right now? So I am currently at a local park outside of Atlanta, Georgia. I'm visiting family for a week or two, so on the East Coast. Very, very cool. And um, what are you traveling in? I am in a 2015 Ford Transit self-converted van. Very cool. And would you consider yourself you know, full-time, part-time, sometime? No wrong answer. Uh, I am full-time. I've been full-time now for about seven months. Okay. And, you know, in this world, they have this thing called a, a newbie, which I hate because I don't remember being like a newbie apartment renter or a newbie right. homeowner. But for some reason, in this lifestyle, if you're new to the game, well, welcome to the lifestyle. Let's go back to seven months prior. Uh, when did this idea hit you? Where were you living? What were you doing? And what got you to think, you know what, let's move into a van and hit the road? Yeah, so previous to COVID, I was living in Northern Virginia. I had been there for about 10 years. I moved there originally in the Marine Corps and then transitioned out to the civilian world and owned a gym in Woodbridge, Virginia. And I was visiting a former girlfriend in San Diego, and I see all of these vans driving around. And I'm like, I think people are living in these things. And just seeing that kind of triggered, I think I could do this. How can I make this work that I can start traveling? And went back home to Virginia. Obviously, you don't see it every day on the East Coast. And bought a van, started converting it, sold a house, and then just started that process. Obviously, COVID put some kinks in the plans, took a little longer than expected, but then got on the road seven months ago. Were you like, you know, camping kind of before doing extensive road trips before i mean outside of actually you know being in the marines so we want, i don't really want to call that road tripping and camping but you know what i mean were you doing that at all before this yeah so the year before uh, i kicked off full time i was doing two weeks here a month here and then transitioning back actually when COVID started we closed the gym in virginia i moved to san diego and had an apartment for a year at the height of COVID with uh, my former partner and i was traveling you know a month at a time two weeks at a time before kicking off full time okay so it sounds like you know back in the bricks and sticks life you were uh, like a, a physical trainer. And so your job was very face to face. So traveling all the time probably doesn't seem like in it. What are you doing kind of now that allows you to hit the road? Yeah. So 
In 2017, my partner and I started building an online wellness company for the general public. So putting out live fitness classes, doing Zoom classes before Zoom was cool. And over time, we had been working in the local school district. We transitioned that online program to focus on the mental, physical, and emotional wellness of educators and students. So now we are Teacher Fit and Advocate, which are both online wellness companies, and we partner with almost 400 schools in five countries to provide mindfulness and meditation, fitness classes, yoga classes, and nutrition coaching on a daily, weekly basis to educators and students. Was this a big part of your life, obviously, before launching this business? Is this something you've been doing for a while back in Virginia? Yeah, so I transitioned out of the Marine Corps in 2013 and immediately went into the fitness industry. I worked as a general manager at a CrossFit gym and then opened our own personal training and CrossFit gym. And we ran that for six years. And we got to a point that the online business was growing larger than the revenue um, profit that we were bringing in from the brick and mortar business. So with COVID kicked off, we decided, hey, this may be a good time to transition out of owning a physical location. And we made that transition and I had already bought the van and converted the van and I was ready to hit the road and start traveling. Do you have any experience before doing that kind of stuff, converting a a van or, you know what I mean? Or is this all new to you? Absolutely new. There were many hours staring at the empty walls of the transit and watching plenty of YouTube videos to figure out one piece at a time. I like that you were kind of influenced in real life. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I run into people that are so many people that are seeing people do this on, you know, Instagram or YouTube, and that's how they're influenced or you just got a glimpse of it and kind of put it together like, hey, these are stealth vans. People are living in these and traveling, <laughs> you know, kind of a thing, which I which I like. Explain a little bit about the the van life and how that's been for you. And, and I, I'll make the assumption that you've made it kind of stealth. I, I don't have a photo of your rig in front of me, but it, you know, give me an idea of what the travel has been like the last seven months. So it's been great. I mean, I kicked off in San Diego and I was very fortunate to meet multiple people in the first few days that I was traveling. And I ended up traveling with them um, through Southern California, Northern Arizona, Utah, Nevada, Northern California. And I feel like I've been with people almost the full seven months, off and on, different groups. Um, It's been great. The van is semi-stealth. It is the longest and tallest tallest version of the transit. I'm 6'4", so it took a lot of planning and prep to be able to stand up in the van and have plenty of room. Um, But most of my time has been spent on BLM land, in National Forest. There have been days that I've done a little bit of stealth, but I try to be out in nature more away from you know, cities and lots of people. Um, So I've been very fortunate, one, to be surrounded with great people, and then two, to have great locations to camp. Oh, for sure. And I I think I almost got, I mean, I knew a little bit of your background because we do, you know, kind of like a little bit of an onboarding, but I try to stay away. I really like to keep it like I walked outside of my RV and then I saw you and I started talking to you kind of a thing. But when you were talking about being at a park in Atlanta, like instantly I was like, oh, you know what? This doesn't sound like he's going to be in a large RV because it's (laughs) such a big city and it's hard to bring big rigs into those cities. And this is where the vans really come in, you know, really in handy in a way if you want to visit or interact in a really large city. Okay, so when you did the renovation, I know you said you had a new 
experience in renovating uh, vans. Did you have experience in even just, you know, like renovating homes or was it just like a hundred percent, like I got to learn this from scratch? No, it was a hundred percent learning from scratch. Absolutely no experience. If you ask the guy who helped me, he would, he would be very upfront with how <laughs> unhandy I was. Luckily I had him to help me and then he had lots of tools. I had a decent amount of space. Um, so it worked out, but even if you saw the rig now, you would, it's very basic, just the bare essentials. Do you feel handier though now going through this process? I definitely feel handier now having completed this build and then the maintenance, whether that's electrical and plumbing, continuing the upkeep um, has definitely been beneficial. I feel like, you know, there's two things I feel is a common denominator. A lot of times in this lifestyle, there wasn't much of an RV experience. And I, I put you know, I use the clinical term of RV, recreational vehicle, so it, it encompasses everything, schoolies, vans. And the other side of it is the construction side, that most people, when they had their bricks and sticks, if they needed something fixed, they hired someone. So they didn't have experience in either, and they take on these projects, you know, whether they have help or they just really just go to YouTube and learn it. And I'm always impressed by that, that it really, this lifestyle has moved a lot of people out of their comfort zone. Yeah, I think that's key, and it. it kind of goes from both the building to living that lifestyle of getting outside of that comfort zone, growing in areas that, you know, when you're living in bricks and sticks, as you call it, you're, it's so comfortable. It's so easy just to go to work or work from home and then sit on the couch and watch TV. There's nothing really challenging you on a daily basis. But when you're living in a national forest or on BLM or you're camping at an RV at an RV park or whatever it may be, little things come up constantly that make you get outside or make you get uncomfortable that I think this lifestyle really leads to a lot of growth and challenges for everyone. Yeah, I also think too, and tell me what you feel like when it comes to the hobby stuff like that I just never did. And I lived in Southern California and there's no excuse not to. But when I got in this lifestyle, it was so much easier to transition from work to kayak or work to hike or work to being outside where in the bricks and sticks model, by the time I commuted home, got home, I didn't want to go out and do those things. And I wasn't out in those things it, to take effort. Like I always remember in Southern California, I had to hike to the start of the hike because of how hard it right. was to find places to park. And I'm like, this is stupid. I just did two miles of hiking to get to the start of a one mile hike. Absolutely agree. 100%. And I had a, a an example of this recently, I, I lived in Northern Virginia for 10 years. There's, you know, Shenandoah National Park, the Appalachian Trail is not too far, all these things that you could experience. And I just never did because it was work and home and home and work. And that was it. But, you know, even on this trip to visit family, I visited Shenandoah National Park and I went to Harpers Ferry and hiked the AT and like all these things that I could have been doing for years, but just never did. And now something that I want to stick to for the rest of my life is that I never want to be in a place where I have to drive to start a mountain bike ride or drive to start a hike. Just like you said, I want to be able to walk out my front door and be in nature. No, no. Very cool. And you have a, uh, a dog, a, a tiny dog. It sounds like <laughs> that goes with you. 
Yes, a little puppy, as I like to call her. She's only 130 pounds, and she is an English Mastiff mix that travels with me full time. The perfect van dog, minus she doesn't want to walk very far or hike, but she's lazy, likes to lay around. So when I'm working on the road, it makes it easier. She's she's very well trained, so we'll just sit outside the van and enjoy her own little piece of nature. You know, I just saw a piece because I'm always interested when people create these new businesses. Someone created like an amazing dog park i want to say in atlanta um like it's it, it's kind of like a dog park meets where people that don't have dogs can go to and there's like cocktails and like hangouts where you meet people but then people that don't own dogs that want to pet and see dogs yeah uh, it was I, i've never seen anything like it and i was like oh this is going to blow up i mean he's like one of the first of its kind but it's on acres of area um i don't yes. know how, how well your dog plays with other dogs yeah, she plays great. We don't do a ton of dog parks. I think she's super shy and just wants to hang out with me um, or people. But I definitely saw one of those locations as well in Seattle. A lot of people that I've traveled with have ventured up to Seattle and hung out there for a while in the summer. And there was one of those there that they would go there. Dogs can play. You can have a drink. It's like a brewery cocktail slash dog park. I definitely think it's a cool idea. Without a doubt. Now, um, you know, only seven months on the road. Are you keeping like a, uh, a state collection? Do you know how many states you visited and mileage? Are you doing a, like that kind of notes on that stuff? Or is it just really like, you know what, I'm just going where I'm going. Uh, I'm more of just a, I'm just going where I'm going. I'm trying to keep a journal of photos. Uh, I have a journaling app on my phone that I save photos from each stop and location. But other than that, I'm not, I'm not keeping too close to tabs. Gotcha. Yeah. We just finished the 48 and I'm really glad we finished it. Cause we were like 45 forever and people would be like, what States have you been to? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I <laughs> let, feel like I've been to all of them. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to go over to the coloring book. <laughs> <laughs> it's easier to say which ones I haven't. Let's do that. <laughs> right. Exactly. So funny. Um, Okay, well then let's talk about, you know, how has the build been? I always, you know, like I feel like, you know, when you make it yourself, there's there's good in the sense that you know that went into it, but has it been holding up for you in the seven months on the road? And did you design it in a way that now you've been on the road seven months, you're like, dang it, I wish I would have done this, or is everything pretty much, you know, how you planned it and you're enjoying it? Yeah, with regards to holding up, it definitely has held up almost pretty much better than I anticipated. Um, early on, you know, we had the little things we had to work out. There was leaking around the windows that we installed and, you know, the batteries weren't hooked up correctly, you know, little things like that, that we were able to fix. Um, the biggest thing that I've had after, you know, months and months of driving on national forest roads and BLM lands, you know, cabinets were starting to get loose and fall off that we've had to re reattach with stronger anchors. And then I just um, reworked my battery setup to have 300 amp hours of battery and then connecting them to the alternator. That's been a huge benefit. So when I'm driving, they're charging. Uh, I'm not sure where you guys were this summer, but up in the Pacific Northwest and then into Montana, I had an experience where I think I was traveling with three or four other vans heading towards Glacier National Park, and the smoke was so bad that we were getting little to no solar charge for days at a time, and I had no other way to charge my batteries other than solar, so I now have a isolator where I can charge when I drive. So little things like that that I've been able to add and improve, but overall, you know, the bed, the, you know, the kitchen area, the benches, they've all held up pretty well. And it's impressive too. At six, four, I'm, I'm six, six. And obviously I gravitated towards the fifth wheel because of, you know, just kind of the height restrictions 
So it is nice to hear. Do you think someone, is, are you like right there at 6'4", or do you think someone like me at 6'6 six, six could still make it work? I think you could make it work. You definitely have some head touching in areas. <laughs> uh, I, I think this vehicle is 6'6", six, six, but I insulated the ceiling and the floor, so it cut it down to 6'4". If I get close to the front where the driver's seats are, uh, my head definitely touches, but back in the main living space, I have a maybe half an inch of clearance, so you'd be you'd be pushing it. I gotcha. And have you done any <laughs> traditional campgrounds? I mean, I know a lot of uh, what I will refer to as van lifers or vanners, they stay away from it, but have you done any? So I have done some, depending on where I'm at, if that's the best option, um, or I need a shower, or they've got laundry, and it's not too expensive, I will will splurge and get a nice night in a campground. Now that I've been on the East Coast for about a month, I've been doing multiple of those. When I was visiting friends in Virginia, I definitely stayed in a campground that was local. Um, my first... KOA campground outside of Harper's Ferry. That was an experience. So I've definitely done some. I do a lot of harvest toast as well. So I'll pick and choose um, where I'm traveling and see if I can find somewhere to stay that I can have a nice glass of wine or possibly a beer and uh, a, a safe, beautiful place. Now that they've, uh, you know, Harvest Toast gobbled up Boondockers Welcome, have you used them at all or thinking about it? So I have used Boondockers Welcome. I actually used them when I was outside or across the water in Seattle. I was on Bainbridge Island, and I there was really no place to stay, but I didn't want to leave the island and come back. So I used a Boondockers Welcome there and spent two nights in a neighborhood out in front of someone's house, and it was it was a great experience. They brought they had power if I needed it. They offered food and desserts and all kind of stuff. So it was actually a really nice experience. Yeah, it's been some of my my best days. You know, getting out of the you know besides boondocking is probably obviously like real boondocking is top. But then being able to just be out on someone's property, a farm or whatever, and just getting back to the hospitality side of you know knowing your neighbors, it's been great. Um, what's been your kind of budget then in a sense of you know i mean just for campgrounds it's got to be hardly anything compared to what you used to pay in rent yeah i mean living in northern virginia and then san diego um <laughs> rent was definitely a major expense in my life somewhere between two and four thousand dollars a month for absolutely nothing with regards to a space um, but now yeah traveling boondocking most of the time the budget with regards to that has been very minimal you know I don't like to spend more than $30 on a campground. And I think most places you can find somewhere that's you know below that. And then if it's only one night a week or maybe two, um, if that, um, I'm able to keep a budget that's that's pretty well maintained. I guess one thing, too, that I you know I think that's really interesting with the van life is if you really did need, let's say, a break, um, renting an Airbnb is really easy because most of those places will have a driveway where you can pull the van in too, which is a lot different than a 42 foot fifth wheel. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something we've looked at, you know, if we go to events and it's just a long experience or we've been out for a long time exploring a national park, like, Hey, we could really use a break and a shower and laundry and a kitchen. Um, a group of us will do an Airbnb for a night or two, and there's typically plenty of room to park. So that's definitely a convenience that, that we have in a smaller vehicle. What has been the transition like from even smaller apartments to a van is, you know, you're going from, <laughs> I got to assume the square footage is what, eight feet by however long? You're probably what, 150 square feet total? Yeah, something like that. It's definitely not much. Um, I have been 
constantly downsizing for the past few years, wanting to be live a more minimal life, wanting to focus on building experiences, using my income to get bikes or surfboards or whatever it may be, as opposed to buying just stuff. So getting rid of a bunch of stuff was obviously a big part of this transition. But then I like to follow the weather as well. So I never feel like I'm completely stuck in the vehicle over seven months. I think I've maybe experienced four to five days of rain. And some of that has been recent on the East Coast. So I've been very fortunate that you know, I can open the door, I can get outside. Uh, Georgia, the puppy can sit outside. So we don't necessarily feel very cramped. I'm excited to see what the winter brings and how that plays out. But I've really enjoyed having a small space and not feeling like I just have all this stuff in my possession that I don't need. It is really kind of, I mean, there are people here that don't understand how freeing it feels to get rid of a lot of stuff. And I still have a little bit of a uh, like a, a hoarder when it comes to gadgets. Like I still like buying my gadgets, but I think everything else in my life has been, you know, I mean, I think we used to have like what, 30 coffee mugs in the house. Right. You know, I have never had 30 people over <laughs> one time to drink coffee, <laughs> that kind of a thing. Yep. How, are you experiencing that kind of freedom, not having all the the things to worry about constantly? Absolutely. And even as simple as I don't have all of this random food in this huge refrigerator that, oh, we don't have anything to eat because I can't make a choice. You know, you can buy specifically what you're going to eat for the next five to seven days, however much food you can store in your vehicle. And it makes it easy. Little things like that, you know, definitely don't need 30 coffee mugs. I've got enough for you know, plates and silverware that myself and maybe one guest can have. But if you want to come experience my van and have, have dinner, bring your own plate and cup. Um, <laughs> I and, I, and I think that that bodes well for everyone that's coming. Cause I think we're all in the same boat. Um, I think my dream hoarding, if I was going to be a hoarder would be toys. So, you know, mountain bikes, road bikes, surfboards, paddle boards, all those things. But other than that, and it's hard to do in a van to have all that. Without um, a doubt. But that would, that would be the dream. Do you, do you have a time frame for this uh, where it's just full time and this is your only means of, of living? Or is it, you know, I'm just going to keep doing it until I don't want to do it anymore? Yeah, I'm just going to keep doing it. I don't have any sort of restrictive timeline. You know, the benefit of being able to work online is obviously a plus. So I don't want to limit myself and say, hey, I'm only going to do it until, you know, January of 2023. I want to see what happens, you know, where the road takes me. Hopefully I can do some international travel as well. I mean, that's my big thing with this is just getting out, traveling, seeing new places, meeting new people and having that experience. And it's, it's like, for me, I'm in that kind of like, I'd love to have a homestead and working towards that, but then always be able to, you know, do wheels up in 30 minutes. I mean, not in like a weird, weird kind of prepper way, but you know, just where (laughs) there's that part that I've never had in my first 45 years of life. I never had where if I wanted to go on a road trip, it would take a lot to get a road trip together where now I just want to keep that with, with a van. I could see almost, almost everyone. I feel like the ones that come off of full time, they still keep the van, even though they buy a place because then they still want to be able to just, you know, do four day trips as opposed to, you know, full time trips. Right. And I definitely think that's my mindset. I I think in a year or so, I would like somewhere to call home, whether that's, you know, a piece of property or, you know, 
whatever that looks like. I have no idea. But the dream would be a small piece of property with a tiny home and a huge garage full of toys that, you know, if you need to go home and just relax and recoup, you can do so. But then, like you said, in 30 minutes or less, I can hop in the van, pick whatever toys I want, depending on where I'm going, and I can head out for a week or two weeks, but then have that safety, security, comfort to go back home to. Without a doubt. Let's get back to really quick to the work too, because I know we jumped into it and out of it. How was that transition for you? I mean, I would think that, you know, with a history of working face-to-face, then, you know, obviously kind of being pushed because of what was going on with COVID, but then creating a really kind of cool business out of it where you're not face-to-face anymore. How has that transition been for you and for the business? Yeah, originally it was really tough. I mean, I went from you know, 10 years of working inside of a gym, seeing 150, 200 clients each day in group classes and having those friendships and that interaction to really no face-to-face interaction for all of, you know, March, 2020 through February of 2021. And it was really challenging on a social level. I love meeting people. I love having that connection, that communication and sharing experiences with people. So that was really challenging. But with regards to the business and on a business level, it's been great. You know, having the ability to expand our impact, you know, we were working in our local school district and impacting, you know, our 150, 200 members in the gym, but now being able to expand to a point where, you know, we're working in schools in the U.S., Australia, um, Canada, New Zealand. We have our first school in Lebanon that we're working with students for mental health. Just having the ability to expand through the use of technology has been rewarding to me just as a human, but also exciting to see and watch from kind of a spectator's point of view and seeing what schools are doing with our program. Are the U.S. schools like really open to it? I mean, I feel like we need and obviously I can't speak for every country, but we need like more mental health and physical health for our kids more than ever. And, you know, I, I just, are they open to it? Are the kids open to it? How's that been going? So it's been going really well. That program just officially launched um, this school year. And we've got, we've already got, I think close to 10,000 students that are using it daily. Um, yeah. There, There are so many people that are open to it, but I think like a lot of other things, there's a lot of talk about it and a lot of, you know, lip service played to, oh, you know, we need to focus on mental health and emotional well-being and all of these things. But when it comes down to actually making the hard decisions and saying, hey, we're going to make this a priority both in time in budget restraints a lot of people just don't follow through because it's sexy to talk about mental health right now, especially with students. But when it comes down to actually putting in the work, putting the money towards making it happen, you know, a lot of those people fall off. So it's a constant struggle. We, we partner with school counselors to be kind of the point of point of impact for our students. And nine times out of 10, they love the program. They want to start it. And then two weeks later, we hear like, oh, we can't make it work. You know, we'll be in touch as soon as we find money or we'll be in touch as soon as our principal takes the time to look at what we've presented. You know, those things happen constantly. And I I agree with you that we definitely need it more than ever. The program stemmed from um, myself. I still mentor a lot of the students that I worked with five or six years ago in a middle school after school program. And during COVID, they had been out of school at home alone for over a year. And when I would ask them like, Hey, who else do you talk to besides me? Do you have access to your school counselor? Do you have access to any sort of, um, 
student advocate from your school? And the answer was always no. Like I get an email from my school counselor about classes or I get an email about this, but there's actually no human to human contact with someone that can be an advocate for them. And if they're at home alone because their parents are working and they have nowhere to go, obviously that's a, a, a missing point and a point of crisis for those students. So that's where the program stemmed from. And hopefully we're making a difference. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, this program sounds like obviously it's much needed. And one is a parent when my kids are in school and they came back and said, Hey, they're adding this. I'd be really excited about it. As much as all the programs that I think that I were involved when I was in high school that are gone now from the arts to, you know, like home act to finances to, you know, how to work on your car, how to work with wood. We've removed right. all that stuff and it's just all real heavy academics now. And, you know, that's not just going to be for everyone after high school. And, and, and not, and I think it's funny too, that a lot of times with this, it becomes a, a parent issue, like where it's like, well, your parents should be teaching you about mental and physical wellness. What if your parents are, you know, alcoholic, you know, bipolar, like how are they helping you? So that's the part that I'm excited to hear that you're bringing this to schools. Yeah. And I I think parents obviously play a huge role, but not every student has that parent that's going to set the right example. And if we're asking or mandating that students be in school from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m., five days a week, obviously we're taking a lot of their time. Why are we not using that for true life development, mental, physical, and emotional wellness? If you look at adults across the board where they struggle, mental health, physical health, like financial help, all those things where people really struggle as adults, we don't cover at all in uh, school. We teach them math, we teach them science, we teach them history, all these things that we can now ask Alexa what the answer is, but we can't ask Alexa why we're depressed. So how can we give students the tools to actually carry them through their young years into adult life so they're set up for success to be healthy and happy adults? And we're not answering those questions because they're hard questions, right? They're not they're not easy to answer, so we avoid them and just throw money at the simple answers. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, it's funny, too, when you look at schools, I remember when uh, – I think it was my oldest son when he was at Fullerton High School. It's been a school that's been around since, like, the late 1800s. And some teacher did some really cool thing. There was a photo of her classroom from the 1800s, and it took her only about five minutes to make it look like that in 2010-ish and then yep. and recreate the photo. And it's like really in, in 100 years, it took you five minutes to make the room look like it did then. Like we're still teaching that same way 100 years later with all the technology we have. That's so weird to me. Yeah, you it's know? crazy that you know, the, the amount of tech technological advances that have happened that, you know, we're doing crazy, amazing things outside of the school system. But when you look at education, just like you said, it's been the same since the industrial revolution, right? right. We, we, we built this system to produce a product, i.e. the student to be a productive member of society, i.e. go work in a factory, no basic knowledge, and go forward with your life producing a high quality product for the country. And now 70 years later, nothing has changed. Yeah. You know what? I'm, I'm glad you bring it up because a lot of people don't know or really are open to talk about the history of our schools where that's literally, 
if you look at the systematic of it, uh, how you report to a manager, how you move from one thing to another, your lunch breaks, where you're supposed to sit, the assignments. I've never understood taking work home because nobody really, you know, outside of like CEOs or jobs like sales, nobody takes work home. It, it's such a weird like hybrid that no one's really just stopped and said, hey, this isn't how we should be teaching our kids anymore. And I, I'm again, I'm glad that a program like yours exists and it's penetrating in some of the schools that make it a priority for the budgets because it's much needed. Yeah, if you look at regulation that's come down from the government and the Department of Education, you can see exactly what the national framework was designed to do. So depending on the era, whether it was grooming young men to be part of, you know, World War One, World War Two, right into the Industrial Revolution, up into, you know, the fighting drugs, all of those things are tied into education and manipulate how we guide our students so that when they graduate, they are now a successful part of society as deemed by the government. Right. And it just continues to do that. And it's not focused in the right direction. Yeah, because what's amazing, too, that it's been part of this uh, podcast is people that have degrees are doing stuff today that has nothing to do with their degree. Absolutely. It took them a while to get out of that, you know, matrix. They're like, wait, why am I becoming a lawyer or why did I go into this? It's, it's so funny to me where it's like, would you love to go back and change it or not even go? And I think we did a poll once and people came back with, you know, I, I would do it completely different. I wouldn't have gone to school for what I went to or I would have not gone to school and just moved into what I'm doing today. Yeah, absolutely. My political science degree from college is not really paying off too much right now. <laughs> well, I always laugh too when I was interviewing <laughs> in 2015, you know, like I didn't have an MBA and I was like, if I got an MBA, it would have been like in 1994. How is my marketing, you know, my master's in business, how is that from 1994 even closely relevant in 2014? You know what I mean? Like, well, well, what's crazy is they're probably still teaching the same things. No, 100%. But, but it's, it's not amazing. applicable because the person who's teaching that class hasn't marketed in the past 10 to 20 years and has no idea that social media marketing or those types of things even exist. 100%. Well, I think we definitely got through the travel and work, and I think we touched a little bit on what we like to call exploring your hobbies, but I want to make sure you were able to, you know, talk about a little. So, you know, in your travel, what are the things you really enjoy doing? Yes, yeah, so I'm all about outdoor activities. Um, I prioritize, obviously, my health and wellness, so I love going on hikes and trail runs, mountain biking, road biking, paddle boarding. Anything I can do outside to get another experience is what I love doing. I, I, I pretty much direct my travels using all trails. Like, okay, where's a, I'm, I'm a, I want to drive no more than two hours. What types of trails are around here? Okay, I don't really see anything too great. Let me check over here. So I Anything outdoor is what I try to fill my time with when I'm not working. There's also, I, I noticed a note here for the Van Life newsletter. Talk to me about that really quick. Yeah, so when I was getting into this world and looking for, you know, I subscribe to business newsletters and like reading them in the morning, and I think they give more of a personal touch to what's going on in the world and break it down easier. I didn't see something like that in the van life or travel world. Obviously, there are newsletters on hundreds and thousands of topics, but I couldn't really find one specifically in the US. I think there's one in Europe 
focused on van life. So I thought, Hey, like, why not create it and see, see what I can do with it and try to give a personal touch, a simple look at, you know, where should I travel? You know, reviews on campsites, reviews on boondocking locations, reviews on top things to do in Boise, Idaho, as opposed to, you know, there's tons of apps, but sometimes the reviews are good. Sometimes they're bad. You don't really know what to actually believe because they're all over the place. So I wanted to give, again, just that personal touch to individuals. If they're traveling to, you know, Washington state, they can look at the website or review old newsletters and say, Hey, what's in Washington state. And they can see hikes that we've done. They can see boondocking locations, national parks. We've been to our favorite breweries or wineries. They can kind of plan their trip using the newsletter and the blog to do so. Yeah. I love stuff that one is, it's weird. I, I feel things fall into two categories that I really like either. It's all inclusive where, you know, you can go to it and it doesn't matter how you're traveling, you can get something out of it. But then I also really do like the super micro niche where it's mm-hmm. like, this is exactly how I'm traveling. Because even for myself, like there's times where I would get into, let's say I find a YouTube channel and it's got some good how to's, but their travel stuff is more them and their five kids, you know? And right. and I'm like, I don't have five kids. So like half the stuff here <laughs> doesn't make sense to me. But the how-tos did. The same thing here. I think there's this great opportunity that, and that's what I really love, this whole side, this side of the industry, the user side, as opposed to the, you know, the creating of the, the manufacturing of stuff or that. The user side of it, I love when the community is doing this. So that's really cool. I want to make sure we link this um, down below too in the show notes. Um, awesome. One of the things I like to do is what I call high-low um, and so we start with the low cause nobody wants to end on a low, but <laughs> right. outside of COVID flat tires and the four days of rain, uh, what's been a low for you on this road trip? That's different than, you know, the bricks and sticks lifestyle. Yeah, I think the biggest low has been when I haven't been with other people. And I don't mind being alone for a little bit, but you could definitely travel in a direction or head to somewhere and kind of isolate yourself. And then you're like, oh, man, I was really enjoying all of this company, but there's just silence for days and days. And I do think there's benefit to that for a certain period of time. But I wanted to do this and I wanted to, you know, dive into the culture of travel to meet people as well. And that's part of the benefit for me is to meet new people, experience different cultures and that style of thing. So I think, you know, when I started moving towards the East Coast, most people lean towards the West Coast. And I spent, you know, a week, two weeks, now three plus weeks without really spending a ton of time with people before I linked up with family. And it just got to a point where I was just like, man, I'm really missing my friends that I met on the road and the late night talks over campfires and, you know, waking up and saying good morning to someone almost like you're in a neighborhood, but you're all parked in the national forest. Um, so I would say that was really the only low I've had such a positive experience. It's hard to pull anything out besides that. Very cool. I like that. So then let's get into the highs then. So what's been, uh, I can't believe this is my life kind of moments for you. If you can pinpoint one. Yeah. So I talk to a lot of people about this when they ask about, how my experience has been. And it kind of ties into that being close to nature aspect that we discussed earlier. But I think the biggest thing is the number of moments that you just, you, you hike around a corner or you pull into a national park or you come around the corner and there's the grand Tetons. And it's just those moments that you're just like, 
wow, like this is absolutely beautiful. Or you like pull up to one of the Cascade Lakes in Oregon, you're like, I've never seen water like this. Um, it's just that number of experiences on a daily and weekly basis that has been the high for me. I, I missed out on a lot of travel, I think, through my time in college because I was training for the Marine Corps, then my time in the Marine Corps, then owning a brick-and-mortar gym. I just missed out on a lot of those experiences of traveling international and inside the United States. But now that I'm doing it, it's just those moments that you're just awestruck by nature that have been the absolute high for me. Yeah, I think we forget a lot of times too, and I've said this on the show, when people get excited about traveling, their go-to is like Europe or abroad somewhere. Right. And there's so much here in the United States. And then I also talk to people about, you know, I, I honestly, I mean, I don't know the actual numbers, so don't hold me to it, but I really do believe that 80% of the United States lives in 20% of the land. And I also mm-hmm. think of 80% of the visitors go to 20% of the very popular spots. So yep. if you can, you know, venture away from, let's say, all the major national parks and, you know, get outside of the park just a little, the crowds are gone, it's completely different, uh, and you still see a lot of the beauties. Not to say not to go to national parks, but they, they can get very crowded for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's been tons of reports this year and last year that they're just overcrowded and strained. And I mean, I drove through Yellowstone a, two months ago and we didn't even stop. We drove straight through because there were just cars lined up on the side of the street everywhere. And I'm like, this is not even the most beautiful place that we've seen today. But everyone is the, you know, they Google best national park and there it is. And they just go to it when you can literally drive another hour outside of the park and be alone or a small group and see things that are just as beautiful. Yeah, I think it was like Shipwreck Mountain in Utah or something where I knew everyone was turning left to go there. And I looked to the right. I'm like, that mountain looks just like that mountain. It's just that (laughs) one's not called Shipwreck. I mean, maybe it doesn't have that little look to if you look at it with your eyes squinted from the right, it looks like a shipwreck. But it's the same (laughs) mountain. Like, just go over there. You'll, You'll enjoy it so much. That's awesome. Um, where can people find you? I know we talked a little bit about uh, vanlifenewsletter.com, but where can people find you if you are creating content on a personal channel somewhere? And then, uh, you know, I mean, your business side, if they're like, oh, I want that for my kid's school, how do they, you know, give me all the 411. And remember, folks, I'll write this all down below in the show notes so you don't have to try to write it down, but he's going to let you know, and then I'll make sure that it's in the notes so you guys can click and find it. Yeah, so my personal, probably the best way to, to follow me or find anything with regards to me is on Instagram. It's nick.traveling. And most of that is just photos in nature that I think are awesome and I want to share. Um, other than that, with regards to the business, Instagram is teacherfit.studentfit. And all the, all the information is on there. You can follow the link that's on the Instagram page. Teacherfit.com is the website. Um and if you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. We're on that platform all the time. And then Van Life Newsletter on Instagram and vanlifenewsletter.com. Awesome. I'll link it down below. Nick, thank you so much for making time to come on the show and hang out and share your story. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. One other great episode. A big thank you to Nick for coming on the show. And if you want more info on all the amazing things Nick is doing, just click on the show notes in your podcast player to connect with them and let him know that you heard about him through the Rootless Living podcast. Also, just a friendly reminder, if you're enjoying the Rootless Living podcast or the magazine, make sure to let your friends and family know by sharing us on your favorite social media channel. It's a really big help in getting the word out. And if you use the hashtag Rootless Living over on Instagram, we're going to share it as well. 
And like always, if you think you know someone that would make a good guest or that guest might even be you, please send us an email at podcast at rootlessliving.com and let's see if we can help tell your story. Until next week, stay rootless.